Fear. Fear is a cannibal that feeds upon itself. It lives in every dark shadow, waits around every corner. It can be in two places at once, the path ahead, yet somehow always behind you. Fear hides behind every decision, questioning your every move. And it's your fault. You are the one who gives life. You are the parent of your own fear. Every instinct tells us we can do nothing in the face of that which terrifies us. But that is what fear is. Instinct. We run. That is our nature. Better to run away and live to fight another day. Or so the saying goes. But if we run, the cannibal feeds and grows stronger. Better to run towards your fear. Better still to face it. Stare it in the eye. Make it blink. Watch it disappear. Now I start this podcast off because with this saying or this poem or whatever it is, uh, this conversation about fear. Because I did the same thing in episode number 143. But for episode number 143, I did it for a very different reason. We had a lot of softness going on at advanced training that time. Guys were missing workouts. Guys were missing workouts because it was cold. They didn't want to get up. They were scared. That's all it was. But now, I'm starting this podcast off with this discussion on fear for the exact opposite reason. Because our guys, they embrace their fear. We were in a tough man competition last week, and it was nothing less than a scorched earth Saturday. It was likened to competitions that we had over 10 years ago, where guys were tapping out. Guys were giving up because it was so hard. Guys were puking so much in our drills that we had to move parts of the tough, tough man competition uh, away from that area. And, you know, that's how we even named it the tough man. Because Andrew Armato said, this isn't a strong man competition. This is just about being tough and getting through it. And then over the years, I decided this really wasn't what advanced training should be about. I'm not here to make guys sick. I'm not here to push them to that level. Uh, that's not what we do. Yeah, it's hard, but that's just stupid. Anyway, this year... The ground just dried up on the tough man, and even though it was the same drill we've done for the last, I don't know, six or seven years, the same exact format, the same exact event, it was just like those scorched earth Saturdays from what we had back in 2011. And guys were waiting and watching guys ahead of them. They were watching dude athletes ahead of them getting buried by the drill. And and as I'm watching them, I could see some fear going through them. Man, I gotta go next. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But they went, and when they went, they embraced their fear. They ran to their fear. They, they killed that fear. And these guys dug deep. They found something in themselves that they might have not known they had there. Now, these are guys who played football at higher levels. These are all, most of them have played college football. They played high school football. So they've, they've played football. They've competed at a high level. And these are now grown men with families. Kids, they don't, they don't need to do this stuff. They got full-time jobs, right? They, why are they doing this? I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping it's because they got that competitive bug or they love the camaraderie of what we do. But I know this. When they left that field last Saturday after that tough man, they were better men than when they walked on that field. Not for just what they accomplished by getting through and running to their fear. Because let me tell you this. These guys knew it was going to be a bear. They knew... Before they went, they already knew they lost, meaning there was no way they were going to beat the time of the first guy that went. It was just not possible. But they still attacked it anyway, and they knew it was going to suck. They knew that they might not be able to walk for a couple minutes after they were done, that they were going to have jelly leg syndrome, but these guys ran to and embraced their fear. But again, it wasn't just about them. It wasn't just about their performance. It was about how much these guys pushed each other while the other guys were going. 
you could see that now it wasn't them against each other. It was them against the event. It was all of them. It was all 15 guys against this scorched earth Saturday. It was all of these guys against the tough man. If you watch the videos and you hear these guys cheering for each other, you hear these guys giving each other encouragement. You know, usually this is highly competitive environment. We're, we're talking about a split second here or there. We, we were arguing about transitions. Uh, maybe it was too easy just how fast guys were going. We had guys finishing this thing in under a minute the last few years. But this year it was nothing like that. And now, again, it became our guys, this whole crew, 15 guys unified, unified against the Tough Man event itself. So why was it so hard this year? As I mentioned, it was really this, this kind of just solidified it. The ground conditions have changed everything, and they will change everything. So you are basically at the mercy of how dry that ground is for the Tough Man. So maybe not too much for a slider. It's not going to affect you all on the farmer's walk, except maybe if your hands are wet from the slider. But that prowler, that is the differentiator. And that's the thing that guys really need to get through in their mind of this is going to suck, and it's going to suck a lot. And with the scorched earth, this thing's going to be hard to move, but I just got to keep chopping my feet and chopping my feet and chopping my feet and chopping my feet and chopping my feet. Because if you stop, you're done. And that's why last week I gave this conversation a podcast specifically on the physics of the tough man. I'm not going to recap it now, but to simplify, for this is overly simplifying it. But the drier the ground is, the worse this thing's going to be, and it's almost impossible to compare two guys' times or your time against yourself from one year to another without actually knowing what the field conditions were. Having said that, let's get into what actually happened at this year's tough man event. So, the way we did it this year was we bumped up the time a little bit because the ground has been scorched earth every week that we've been training for the last few months. So, things that would be easy, say in March, the same weight, the same exercise are now almost impossible in June. So, we moved it up a little bit to try and catch a little bit of that morning dew. So, normally we start at 6.45, this time we start at 5.30. And what we were deciding was... What is the order in which these guys are going to go? Because now our guys are getting smarter. Usually, we, the best guys, we'd have them go at the end, and the, 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 the worst guys would go in the beginning. And when I say worst or best, I'm really talking about based on their performance in that year. So normally, the order was dictated by a, a formula that I have. I'm not going to tell you what the formula is, but it's a combination of how many sessions you've attended, how many challenge points you had, and how many soft points you had. I put that all into my formula, and then it spits out who should go first, who should go last. And normally, the guys who had the best year have the most challenge points. They've come the most, the most they're going to go last. But now the last few years, we've been flipping it up, right? We've been flipping it up. So this year, we flip it up. Uh, sorry, this year, I take the calculations, and I give uh, Pete Baraji a choice. This is the second choice I give Pete Second critical choice I give Pete Baraji this year. Remember, first critical choice, if you're going back to the challenge season, was do you let Weintraub and Chalasi uh, get a bye week or essentially skip a week for their challenge because they're going on a bachelor party and they're not able to compete? Or do you just have them eliminated and move forward? So in that world, Baraji made what now seems like a poor decision, even though it was an honorable decision, which is why he won the Authentic Award from the Freak Awards. He said, nope. We'll let them go to their bachelor party. I will compete with, with uh, Weintraub when he comes back. That proved to be his death. He Ned Starked himself. So Baraji gets eliminated from the challenge. Now again, Pete Baraji, I'm giving you a choice because you have the most points. You tell me two things. One, do you want the guys with the most points to go 
first or do you want them to go last? And secondly, when do you want to go? So you pick the best guys go first or the best guys go last, and you get to pick where you want to go in the order. So Baraji makes the decision, I want the guys who get the most points from your formula to go first and the guys at the lowest points to go last. Okay, Baraji, cool. And when do you want to go? I want to go fourth. Now, thinking about this right now, that's a very bad decision. But thinking about it when he said it, I thought, great decision. Go fourth, get a lay of the land, get the, get, watch people go, get, you know, get the uh, butterflies out of your stomach. Cool, go fourth. But unfortunately for Pete Baraji, he once again Ned Starked himself. Because by the time the third guy went... The, the ground completely and totally dried up. So the first guy, so Pete Baraji had the, the highest points with his attendance, with his challenge points, no soft points. You know, He had the highest points. He was actually slated where he could have went first. He said, I'm going to go fourth. So the guy slated to go first was Tom Galley. And Galley, you know, we know how he is. He's slippery Galley. He's winning all his challenges during the year. He, he's great. And, but hey, why not make him go first, right? That's the thing. Make, make this guy go first. Uh, let, him, let him see what the ground is like. Let him be nervous. Let him be the first guy to go. So now we go to get ready to go. The ground's all set up, but there's no Tom Galley. Where is Tom Galley? It's 5.30 on the dot. There is no Tom Galley. 5.31, Tom Galley is pulling up into the parking lot. 5.32, Tom Galley is walking onto the field. I say to the other guys there, Hey, you 14 guys, you get to decide... You get, you, now, you all get to make a choice as a group, but I need a choice as a group where I'm making the choice. Your choice is, does Tom Galley get two seconds added to his time, or does Tom Galley go last? And they, I hear them talking amongst themselves. I jog to my car. I get something out of my car to make sure I'm getting ready to, to time this tough man competition the right way. And uh, I come back, and I just hear a bunch of different things. Some guys said, make him go last. Some guys said, give him two seconds. Some guys said... The same things I didn't even offer up, like make him go last and give him two seconds. And I'm like, you know what? You guys can't make a decision as a group. And now I'm making the decision. Galley, go. Like, Ga Galley gets no warm-up. Galley just goes. So, Galley gets no warm-up. Galley says, I don't care. And in typical Tom Galley fashion, he doesn't care. He just goes. Uh, he just kills it. <laughs> and he goes and he finishes in 1 minute and 13 seconds. Now, this isn't the uh, greatest of all times ever, but you can see that the ground, like, even for Tom Galley, the ground wasn't just right yet. There was morning dew, but you could, I, I could see that it just wasn't as, as wet as it had been in previous events. And I'm like, okay, I hope it sticks this way. Marechko goes after him. Marechko is the, the number two guy. He's the number two guy on the order. And you could see the ground is drying up a little bit. And he goes and he gets it in one minute and 23 seconds. Now, to compare it to Joe Marechko's best time before this... His best time before that was 1 minute and 5 seconds. So he's 18 seconds worse than his best time. And I would argue that Joe Marechko is way better than he used to be last year or the year before that or the year before that. This year, Joe Marechko, he had the most challenge points. He was the number one seed in the challenge. And now he got it at 123. And I'm like, this ain't good. <laughs> this ain't good. This is getting bad. And then it happens. Young blood, Tommy Yurchek is going. He's the third guy to go. And when he gets to his prowler... I could see and I could feel scorched earth. Now, Tommy Yurchek, if you remember from a challenge long, long ago, he went against uh, Cortese, and I think we had some insane amount of weight on the Prowler. And Cortese hit the Prowler, and the Prowler hit Cortese back and snapped his head back. And, and Youngblood ran right through it. Bang! Like it wasn't even there. 
So I thought, you know, this young blood, even with a, a drier ground, is going to go, but you could tell that it started to get scorched earth for him. And then from that point on, it was like the, uh, I don't know, the Owl Howl Massacre. Not the Boston Massacre, the Owl Howl Massacre, where guy after guy after guy after guy had to deal with that scorched earth and get Jelly Lake Syndrome. And it was almost painful to watch as guys got out of the prowler and had literally no control over their legs as they were trying to get to the bucket on the sled pull. Now, for those of you who are new listening to the podcast, I keep having to remind myself that there is a new audience, and people tell me, like, I have no idea what you're talking about sometimes. So, the way this tough man works is that you put furniture sliders on the ground, you put your feet on those furniture sliders, you put you use your hands to push yourself backwards 15 yards. You get up from the furniture slider. You then go to a long pipe. It's called a farmer's walk. It has 140 pounds on it. You pick up that farmer's walk with one or two hands. Nobody cares. You can't roll it, James Yusuke. Sorry. You pick it up. You run it down 15 yards. You make a left or a right, depending on where you are, the drill, and you go to a prowler. This prowler is a sled with poles on it. The Prowler has 170 pounds. You push it one way with these high handles on the Prowler. After 15 yards, you turn around to the other side of the Prowler. There's a low handle on it. You push it back. When you get back to where you came from, you turn around. You go to the high handles. You push it back again. So it's a there, back, there. After that third leg of the Prowler, this is where guys would get their jelly leg syndrome, couldn't walk, and you go and sit on a bucket. Thank God for the relief. Oh, no. No relief because while you're sitting on the bucket, Now there's a chain in front of you, and 15 yards at the end of that chain is a sled with 140 pounds of weight on it. You're going to pull that sled to you with the chain. When it gets to a designated spot that we've laid out, you're going to get up, and you're going to try to run, run to another set of sliders, and do another 15-yard reverse slider on those furniture movers. So that is the tough man. And again, watching guys get through that prowler part was completely and totally painful. And at points, I felt bad. At points, I was trying to make an exit strategy for some of these guys. Like, okay, if you don't get it in a certain amount of time, I'm just disqualifying you. Because I don't want to, you know, I love these guys. And these guys, I I don't want to see them get physically ill or have something horrible happen to them during this tough man competition because they're pushing themselves to a point that they can't push themselves to. And it's almost impossible to simulate these situations in training because, again, you don't know how dry the, the... or how scorched the earth is going to be. And Guy said, do not, do not pull me out of this drill. Do not pull me out of this drill. I don't care what happens. I am finishing this drill. And once again, these guys rallied together, and it was them against the drill. So I, I talked about, you know, Scali's time of 112, Moresco's time of 1 minute and 23 seconds, then Youngblood, Tommy Yurchek, gets 142. And that's why I said before, when these guys who went after Yurchek went, they knew they weren't going to win. I don't care who you were. I don't care if who it was. You bring back uh, our legendary figures, Joe Trunzo, uh, Joe Sardo, guys who got under a minute on this thing. They're not beating 112 because the ground is scorched earth. It's, you just knew it, right? We have dudes going after your check. You're not beating it. So now it's just you versus the event, and now it's us versus the event. And this is what I loved about this crew. Now, normally, when I do these uh, after episodes, I usually talk about the very fine points of how to cheat seconds. Because before, it was, it was almost so easy, we were thinking of throwing out the competition. Like, this is stupid. It's not even challenging people anymore. And we were getting into, like, ridiculous little nitpicking things to shave off a quarter of a second. Right? To shave off a quarter of a second. Like, how fast do we turn from one side of the prowler to the other? Uh, 
What shorts do I wear to pick up the farmer's walk? Do I sit down on the farmer's walk and pick up the chain at the same time, or do I sit down and then pick up the chain? Like little nitpicking things, which I 100% think is awesome because to be a master at anything is an awesome thing to do. So there is a, I love mastery, and I give credit to mastery. But in this podcast, I can't do that. I can't do it because people were so exhausted, those little details really didn't matter. But what I am going to do, what I am going to do is I'm going to talk about the couple of biggest mistakes I saw, and then I'm going to talk about a couple of tips I'll give. And this is transferable to any tough man, scorched earth or not. So I'm going to skip the little mini transition things, but I'm going to go through, and I'm only going to go through the first three legs of this event, because by the time guys got to the the sled pull, it didn't matter. Like, how can we argue about technique when someone is physically exhausted? That's like critiquing someone's running form who's a, a mediocre runner, and they're running the Boston Marathon, right? Well, first of all, that's stupid because you're going to definitely get hurt from wear and fatigue. Okay, side note here. How many people run the Boston Marathon who are not – they shouldn't be running the Boston Marathon. They complete it, and then, uh, oh, yeah, uh, I tore my knee, and I can't uh, run ever again, or I can't run for three years. That that That's not – Whatever. So I shouldn't be critiquing their form, but again, those people shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Anyway, so I'm not going to talk about the sled pull, but I am going to talk about the first three legs. So let's talk about the slider first. One of the biggest mistakes that I saw during the Tough Man, and this actually goes to Steve Armato, is that he put his feet too far on the front of the slider. His feet went so far on the front of the slider that he was, he was actually moving like he was shot out of a cannon. But within six yards, I think it was his left le- left foot completely fell off. Why? Because his foot hit the ground. It wasn't like he lost the slider. He put his foot so far in front of the slider that the front of his cleat hit the ground and the slider just blew out. Now, when you are in a scorched earth Saturday tough man environment, you need to conserve every bit of energy you have. And now this poor guy on the first leg, the first leg of this tough man event that's going to be somewhere between two and three minutes, he loses a slider and now he's got to do a single leg slider. So that is the big mistake that I saw. Uh, there's, there's other nitty-gritty mistakes, but again, it doesn't matter in a thing like this. Like, I always try to tell guys to not have your palms, your fingers facing to the outside of your body. Your palms should be pace, facing in front of you, right? That's a good tip. So uh, I don't want to – I'll call the guy out. Nick Carroll, you're, you're, watch, watch your video footage. Your palms, your fingers are facing away from your body. You want them facing forward. Another good tip – this is a great tip – is that when you are doing a slider, you don't want to cock your head back. And like it's almost like putting like cock your head back and look straight up. It's slowing you down. My tip to you is to look at a 45 degree angle in front of you and just push the ground away. But if you cock your head back, now it's like driving down the Garden State Parkway with the parking brake on. So that's my tip, the simple tips for the slider. Now we're gonna get into the farmer's walk. So one thing I saw, and I saw a lot of this, and this is weird for guys that are trying to conserve energy on a scorched earth Saturday. This weird thing where guys were carrying the farmer's walk like two to three yards past the yard mark. Like, I don't know why. Maybe they were so geeked out about what was about to happen afterwards that they didn't give a crap about how the technique I should have. But they went two or three yards past the end point. Uh, Joe Derrida, I don't know why, he finishes the farmer's walk, makes a right, and carries the farmer's walk with him to the prowler. I don't know why. Maybe I have some great idea behind it, but I don't know why I did it. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but to me, that's wasted energy. Uh, The other thing I saw was guys hopping over the farmer's walk. I wouldn't do that. Um, I'm trying to conserve my legs for this prowler and not get jelly leg syndrome. That just seems like a lot of effort to hop over this thing. 
And, and Rob Mulligan, sorry, Sean Mulligan, apologies, Mulligan, he put it down and then, like, cut underneath the farmer's walk. So it just seems like a lot of, and it was a pretty good cut, by the way, Sean, but I don't know if it was the energy that you wanted to expend getting yourself from the farmer's walk over to the prowler. Tips that I would have. I have two tips on the prowler uh, that I'm just going to talk about today. I have a bunch of tips, not the prowler, on the farmer's walk. I have a couple of tips on the farmer's walk. I'm only going to talk about two today. One is, and it's pretty just one tip, you got to figure out what side of the farmer's walk you want to go to because you, it's going to dictate how you're going to get from the farmer's walk to the prowler. Now, option one is to run, when you get from the slider, to run around the farmer's walk to the side that you need to break to to get to the prowler. So imagine I am sliding in any direction, who cares? And the farmer's walk is to the left side of my body after the slider. After the farmer's walk, the prowler is also going to be to the left side of my body. So I make a decision. When I get out of that slider and I approach the farmer's walk, do I approach the farmer's walk to the side of the prowler? Do I run around it and go to the side of the prowler so I don't have to run around the farmer's walk to get to the prowler? Or do I pick it up on the side of the slider and then run around the farmer's walk to get to the prowler? I think either option will work. Now, guys, for the most part, are going to have to base it on their hand, their grip strength. Can I pick it up with my left hand, with one hand, or do I need to pick it up with my right hand, right, if I'm a lefty or a righty? Now, for me and certain guys, it doesn't matter. You can pick it up with either hand. But then if you can pick it up with either hand, so if you can't pick it up with either hand, the decision is made for you. I'm going to pick this up with the hand that I have to and figure it out from there. If you can pick it up with either hand, the decision you need to make is, okay, would I rather run around the farmer's walk or would I rather, to pick it up, would I rather run around the farmer's walk to get to the prowler? If you're asking me, and this is different for everybody, and again, this is if you can pick it up with either hand. If you could pick it up with either hand, I would rather run around the farmer's walk to get to the prowler. Why? Because I want to slingshot myself into the prowler. And if you watch Piparaji's footage, we filmed all these things, and I, I once again thank Joe Marechko for thinking of this a few years ago to film everybody's run individually. If you watch Piparaji's run, and students of the game who want to get better, this is why Joe Trunzo broke a minute and won this thing uh, two years in a row, because he watches people's film and he wants to get better. Even after this year, he's asking me questions about what happened, what go on, what the videos go on. Like, this guy wasn't even in the competition this year. He still cares as much as anybody. Anyway. Piparaji expertly does the slingshot technique. So what's the slingshot technique? Imagine you get out of your slider. The, prowler, the farmer's walk is on your left. You run to the farmer's walk with your left hand. You pick it up. You run with it in your left hand. When you get to the finish line, you put the prowler, you basically force that farmer's walk onto the ground. Boom! With your left hand. And as you dip down and push it into the ground, you now slingshot yourself around the farmer's walk in a mini loop that mini loop now gives you a running start right into the high handle of the prowler. And that's important, that running start into the right hand, right into the high handle of the prowler. So that's personally what I would do. Uh, some guys think it's better to not do that. They run around the farmer's walk to start the drill. Maybe they'll pick it up with their right hand, and now it puts them in a straight line to the prowler. Now, to me, I think, you know, they say that the uh, fastest way to get between two points is a straight line. So I kind of get their thought on that. Getting from the farmer's walk to the high handle of the prowler is a straight line. But I want a running start. I want to hit the prowler. I don't want to hit me. This is just me. This is my advice. So those are my tips on the farmer's walk. Now let's get to the prowler. There's a couple of mistakes that I saw on the prowler, and most of these have to do with scorched earth. 
The first one was the guys that seemed to struggle the most were the guys that didn't have leg drive. Now, this may seem like, Coach, what does this even mean? Like, this is like the stupidest thing you ever said. It's so simple. But what I'm saying is their feet were basically skimming the floor, and they weren't pumping, like, punching their knees forward. They had nothing. When, they, when their foot came back, it didn't get enough power into the ground to even move the prowler. So we were focusing on this today. We did a, like a squirt. No, it was another scorched earth Saturday where we were working out with weights heavier than the tough man to try and train and get ourselves ready in case there was scorched earth again. And we really focused on getting that, that drive, right? Getting that drive. The other thing that I see that it just it seems like a waste of energy to me, and not everybody did it, and I think Youngblood did it, but hopping over the prowler. Like you're already tired. Just run around it. I don't know why guys would hop between the poles and get to the other side. It looks awesome. I, I, I might even say, like, nice hop, but it just seems like a, a waste of energy. You don't want to leak energy. You want to conserve every bit of energy that you have. And the last thing I'll say, which kind of links to the first thing I said on this, was guys weren't getting a running start. So let's just say they finished the low handle and they were going to go back to their high handle. They just turn around, lean on it, and now they're just going from no momentum at all. What I would do if I'm dead in a scorched earth Saturday tough man, what I would do is I would make sure that I got a running start every time I hit that high handle of that prowler. It might be a little hard on the low handle because you just can't get the angle on it, but the high handle, I'm going to back up a few steps and boom, I'm going to hit that thing. Right? That's what I'm going to do. I'm thinking, think about it as if you are a blitzing linebacker or a DB. Is it better for that little guy who's going against an offensive lineman to stand at the line of scrimmage from a dead stop and hit it or get a running start? Right? Or what would you, who would you rather have hit you? Would you rather have a, a 260-pound linebacker from five yards away running to you or a 260-pound linebacker standing right next to you? I would prefer the guy standing next to me than running at me full speed from five yards away. So that, that I guess that's kind of a, a tip within the, the mistake. And then one really cool thing that I think we learned this year, and this might only apply to a scorched earth Saturday, is bench pressing the prowler. So Joe Derrida had talked about it a lot, that this is not just a lower body workout. This is an upper body workout, that you can actually push it with your arms at the same exact time that you're pushing it with your legs. So when certain guys were going, you know, we're saying, don't just allow, don't have your arms all like a limp noodle, right? We want to push this thing with our arms and with our legs. So I am, I'm essentially, I wouldn't really say actually bench pressing it, but I'm in my mind, the cue is push it, push it, push it. What's the thing you do in the gym when you push bench press, push up, whatever we're calling it bench press. So that's one thing. The second thing, and this came from Hezra, and I think, I think Derrida actually did it a little too, is literally bench press. Like if your legs are shot, which it looked like Hezra's legs were, you actually stand next to the prowler and punch it with your arms. Like you're actually bench pressing it. So he was moving it with his arms and mostly with his arms and very little with his legs. Now this is probably only going to apply to a scorched earth Saturday because, you know, if it's light, if, it's, if the ground is wet, you don't need to throw this thing with your arms. You're going to drive it with your arms and your legs. But Hezra, sick move. I- I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I've had a prowler for doing the math here, like 13 years, never seen anyone even think of doing what you did. That's pretty sick. So the, the last things I'll talk about are just general tips. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit in my physics of the tough man last week. And it's got to do with objects in motion stay in motion, right? Objects in motion will stay in motion. And the coefficient of friction 
is uh or sorry the st the static coefficient of friction is higher than the kinetic coefficient of friction which again just means in simple terms things in motion stay in motion it's a lot easier to keep moving the prowler if it's already moving so if you're on the middle of moving the prowler you got two choices and only two choices choice number one is don't stop once it's moving you have to keep driving your feet in the ground and you have to drive your feet so fast that it's actually not stopping in between your steps right so this thing has to keep moving. If it's stopping in between your steps, it's literally stopping every time and you're trying to start from nothing every single time. So your option one is keep moving and don't stop moving. Option two is if you have to stop, stop. Don't lay, like lean over on the prowler. Don't lay on it. Don't just chop your foot once and then rest and while leaning on it. Like literally stop. Get up, take a couple of breaths, and then if you can, take a running start and hit it. But, but either you're going or you're not going. But there shouldn't be any in-between because now if you're leaning over, you're going to lose some oxygen. Uh, it might be even more tiring to lean over that way, right? Like, get yourself a running start, and when you hit it, don't stop. I'd say the same thing with the chain pull or the slider, all those things. If you're going to go, keep going. So those are my tips. Uh, guys who are students of the game, you need to listen to this next year. You know, you listen to it all off season. We got a lot of guys who who took this personally, right? Like, man, screw this scorched earth, screw this tough man. Like, I, I'm not going down like this. I'm not gonna let this thing beat me. So don't wait until next July to listen to this podcast or experiment. We had guy, you know, we had guys here today just just work, just training for the sake of training to get better for an event that's gonna happen a year from now. And I love it. We've got guys really getting ready to, to beat an event a year from now. So listen to this thing. Pick up what you can from it. Experiment. Come back to me. Let, let's work on something. You know, Joe Derrida and I were working on things today about how we're going to place our hands on the prowler on a scorched earth day, right? Like, we're, we're trying to figure out ground conditions uh, that may or may not exist, but why not experiment with it? That's the beauty of it, right? We're not, that's why you don't test all the time. Let's play around. Let's figure it out. It works for us. So don't be that guy who just waits till July and goes. If you are a student of the game, if you want to be like Joe Trunzo and win back-to-back -to -back Tough Man competitions, uh, go do it. Now, having said all of this, I do not want to take anything away from Tom Galley. Tom Galley went first. It gave him the greatest advantage. But Tom Galley, and as I said to these guys afterwards, the Super Bowl isn't won on Super Bowl Sunday. The Super Bowl is won from every day, everything you did leading up to that Super Bowl. It's, it's the food those guys ate six months before. It's the drinks they didn't have six months before. It's the way they trained in the gym. It's the way they watched film. It's the way they learned the playbook. It's the way they studied their opponents. It's everything they did. It's the way they came on time to meetings and they were prepared. Everything they did is what won that Super Bowl. It's not just the Super Bowl. So yeah, Tom Galley got to go first. But everything that Tom Galley did over the course of the year, aside from Baraji choosing him to go first, got him to go first. Every single thing he did, when he showed up, when he trained, when he won his events, uh, not getting a lot of soft points, everything Tom Galley did got him in that position to go first. And look, you know, Tom Galley doesn't... You gotta be, uh, what did I say? It's better to be lucky than to be good. Well, that happened to Weintraub in the in the challenge, right? He was good and he was lucky. He had he had a bye because of Baraji. He had somebody not show up. Galley also had somebody not show up. They met head to head, and Galley made a bad decision there and lost at the challenge. But 
he had some luck on his side. Again, Galli has some luck on his side in this tough man competition, but again, everything he did led up to him winning that event. So Tom Galley, congratulations. You earned it. Uh, you know, Yes, you had a different field condition, but I take nothing away from you because it was impossible for us to judge everybody on the same exact field conditions, and I'm sure those guys are wondering what would have happened if they would have decided, as a group, to make you go last. As a group, if they would have just came to me as a coach, as a group, we said he should go last. I, I'm curious to see what your time would have been, but you are the champ, and nobody can ever take that away from you. And again, that championship was not just based on you winning it that day. It was based on every single thing you did. Now, let's go back to why was Tom Galley late? Yes, I'm sure people are wondering this. And this is where uh, stupidity can make people do stupid things. Maybe that's the worst. Maybe that's a stupid saying by saying stupidity can make people do stupid things. But maybe ignorance will make people do stupid things. There you go. And correlation does not equal causation. So why was Tom Galley late? I did not know this, and this is why I thought I'm just going to let him go first with a warm-up versus punish him and make him go last. I thought he came from work and was shot because Tom Galley works in a powerhouse. He works shifts. He has crazy schedules. Sometimes he would like sleep in the parking lot or just get to the parking lot right from work, whatever. So when he came, I said, you okay, Galley? He said, yeah, work's been crazy. All right. I'm like, forget it. These guys didn't make a decision. Tom Galley's just going to go first. He has no warm-up. That's his disadvantage. After the event, Tom Galley, what happened, man? Work ran you late? We said, no, I've been working like crazy, and I needed a break, and it was my friend's birthday, and they went to Tommy's Tavern last night, and they were going to make fun of me if I didn't go, so I went. And I'm like, oh, my God. So Tom Galley went to Tommy's Tavern the night before the event. And Galley said, yeah, I had a cheeseburger and french fries. So this is where ignorance can have causation, uh, have, having people making correlation equal causation, right? So people are probably pissed. Wait a minute, coach. You let Galley go first, and he was out having a cheeseburger. That's not fair. Well, look, A, I didn't know this. And B, again, you guys couldn't make a decision, so it's on you. Now, going back to my point, my worry is, is that someone would hear this information and say, you know what? Tom Galley, he went to Tommy's Tavern the night before the Tough Man. I'm going to go to Tommy's Tavern the night before the Tough Man. Tom Galley, he had a cheeseburger and french fries the night before the Tough Man. I'm going to have a cheeseburger and, tough, and french fries the night before the Tough Man. And if you think that this is far-fetched or stupid, think about every con- – like you look at somebody on Instagram who shredded, and you say, oh, he shredded. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that workout that he's doing because he's shredded. He must obviously be shredded because of that workout he's doing. Uh, maybe he's just shredded, and any workout he's doing looks sick. Right, maybe he is genetically gifted, or maybe he's doing some other things off that screen for a minute that make him shredded, and now you're going to follow this guy's uh, program because he's doing something, and you think it's that's why he looks good. So again, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you would think it is. So Galley, I'm not calling you out here. I'm just trying to add a little lesson within the lesson that you got to make sure that uh, correlation does not equal causation. It just happened to be that Galley ate a cheeseburger and french fries, and it just happened to be that he won the Tough Man. But that is certainly not a meal of champions, especially not the night before a Tough Man. And I would—I went—I was out right with my wife for dinner, and I went home early with her. I like, cut it short because I had to set my everything up and be ready for the Tough Man. I wasn't even competing. 
I was just setting up the drills and wanted to have my mind sharp and be ready to go. This guy is actually competing and going first, and he went out. So, uh, Galley, you always continue to amaze me. But again, for the rest of your life, no one can take this away from you. You are the 2022 Tough Man Champ. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Talk to you soon. Bye. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. It's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your Element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refuse to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. This podcast is brought to you by MicroSky, your one-stop shop for IT and computer services. Now, I've been a customer of these guys for years, and here's why. They make things easy. My computer had died. They came, picked up my computer, recovered all my data, and then set me up with a new computer in three days. Fully loaded, I just press the on button, and I'm ready to go. Made my life super, super easy. Now, they don't only specialize in computer repair. They also specialize in cloud backup, data recovery, cybersecurity, and IT support plans. Do not be like me. Do not wait until your computer dies to get in touch with these guys. Visit microskyms.com slash contact. Microsky, that's S-K-Y-M-S dot com slash contact. If you want a free month of cloud backup, make sure you put AT2020 in the referred by field in the contact form. Again, that's AT2020. Do not wait like I did. Contact them today. This episode is brought to you by Lark Media. Did you ever feel like you had a message that the whole world absolutely needed to hear? You take it, you package it, you bundle it, you send it out there, and then boom, no response. Well, if that's you, don't be disappointed. It might not be that your message is bad. It might be that you're not delivering it the right way. And this is where our friends over at Lark Media can help. These guys are masters of marketing. They've done things for advanced training where they've come in. They've taken documentaries of our work, and they not only captured what it looks like, but they captured what it feels like to be a part of what we do. They've also made motion graphics that we use before and after our YouTube videos. If you need help, please contact Steve at LarkMediaNYC.com. Again, that's Steve at Lark, L-A-R-K, MediaNYC.com. Tell them that Advanced Trading sent you, and they'll take 10% off.